0: Our passage this morning is from Luke 12, uh, verses 13 to 21. If you've been with us recently, you'd notice we're going through the parables. And lately, we're honing in on the parables in Luke. In Luke chapter 9, um, toward the end, we're told that Jesus is in his last year of ministry. He has a three-year ministry. He's in the final stages. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's aware of the cross and what it means. And so all of the teaching we're looking at sort of has that shadow cast over it. And we're coming to these parables because these parables give us what we've been saying are the secrets to the kingdom. Now, some of the parables like the sower, maybe when you first hear it, you don't understand it. It needs to be explained. So sometimes the secret's hidden. But today's parable about a rich fool uh, it's so in our face, it's overwhelming. And in that sense, we have to ask, our. Like I think our temptation is sometimes to say, that's too much, maybe it doesn't mean what it says. Um, we often will come to things like maybe this parable and think, I think I do this just right. I, I think I understand this teaching already. So here's a test I came up with. Um, if you've heard of the rich ruler, that's the story where the man later in Luke comes to Jesus and he's very wealthy. He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus essentially says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And follow me. And he goes away sad. Raise your hand if you've heard that story at all. Okay. I wanna, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever thought, what's wrong with that guy? Like, why doesn't he do that? What an easy request. Raise your hand. Come on. Wonder, oh, wow. the college students are like, yeah, i would give up my possessions. I've got Five. Some CDs, you know. Most of us read that, that story and we feel like, what a request. There has to be more. You know, what is he getting at? And, and often what we come back to is Jesus wants us to find him as our only possession. So let's look for the answer to that secret in this parable by looking closely at it from, again, the gospel of Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, He said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, He's been teaching his disciples. So he turns to the disciples and says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we want to be rich toward you. We long to be your disciples. We long that your spirit would open our eyes. But if we're honest, we really, really love riches. We really love the security they promise Lord, we're secretly afraid of trusting you fully. And so, Lord, first of all, we praise you, as we've seen in this entire worship service, that you forgive us, that you accept our repentance. But, Lord, we also long to see fruit in keeping with that repentance, that we come away from this time more aware of our total dependence on you for everything. Amen. This is a very hard where you see, and um, when you look throughout church history, there aren't a lot of places where you see people really seem to get the concept of possessions, but one place is a man named Francis, and uh, you know him as St. Francis of Assisi, but before he was a saint, he was just a guy from Assisi, Italy, who had very wealthy parents, and we aren't told of what that meant for him and why it must have felt like a prison, but for some reason... That wealth felt oppressive to him, and he decided to just not live that way any longer. The story is one of his friends came upon him, and he was just overwhelmingly happy. And the friend says, why are you happy? And he says, because I have married. And the friend says, who did you marry? And he says, lady poverty. And it's true. He, he gives up everything. He dresses in rags. He goes off into the woods. And the, eventually, he begins to actually teach and preach and then eventually they have an order and become kind of the thing in the Catholic. At the time, that was the only church. Um, but he he lived that way his entire life until he died, just trusting in the Lord for provision. And savings and retirement. Those are things we can process together. But what he's really getting at is material wealth is a prison. If you think it's going to save you, you are already trapped by this. Now, chapter 12, where we are, begins with crowds pressing in on Jesus, and he turns to his disciples and says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That's going to be kind of a dominant backdrop to this whole discussion. The, the, the leaven of the Pharisees of hypocrisy is we act one way here, but we really are another way over here. We, in other words, we wear a mask. And that's often what I think material blessings are. They're a way to hide behind what is you know, not really there. They're a way to put out a front to the world that we don't feel inside. And so it's hypocrisy. And it creates this prison. And so to switch from that mindset and to be rich in the treasures of God, which is how this passage ends, the image I want us to have in our mind is the image I've used several times when you're you know, the person... Let's say the damsel in distress is hanging on the side of a cliff or from the rope, and you have to let go and reach to the rescue person. And there's that moment in the movies where it's like, just trust me and let go, and you just can't go halfway, right? You've got to fully let go and fully grab onto the rescuer. And Jesus is that rescuer, and he's saying, trust in me and you'll find true freedom and true rest. So that's what we're going to see this morning. When we embrace the full riches that are in Christ we will have that rest, that freedom that we so desperately want. Three things we're going to see that aren't in this passage, meaning that the rich fool is not doing, connection with the Father, peace in the present moment, and enjoyment in community. These are three things that he's not doing that make him a fool. So first of all, connection to the Father. Again, the problem of materialism and the material realm, is it creates this illusion that we sort of made it happen. When you, come ac- when you earn an income, when you do things that are good, when the material world blesses you, there's a sense in which I did this. That's sort of in our heart of hearts. And you see that in our passage uh, with this rich fool. Listen to how Jesus tells the story, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The subject of that sentence is land. And so Jesus is telling his disciples and those hearing this teaching, like, they're going to all in that culture understand God provided plentifully. But yet the rich person, the rich fool, doesn't hear it that way, doesn't see the produce that way. Now, the word fool comes later in the uh, parable, and it's when God addresses him in verse 20 but we know from Psalm 14.1, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the essence of the first problem is though God's pouring blessing on him, his mindset is there is no God. Even if he would tell you, I'm a Christian or I believe in Yahweh or whatever, his lifestyle, his, the way he's interpreting the world, the blessings are that he did it. Does that make sense? Um Francis Schaeffer in his um, great, I've talked about it before, his great book and the subsequent movie, How Should We Then Live? He's tracing this idea of Western um, civilization. The more it becomes secular humanism infected, uh, the more it falls. He starts with Rome and he moves to different cultures. And he looks at the philosophy and the the science and, and the art. And he traces how what happens to these societies as they become more Godless. And the premise is when we base society on the Bible, on the infinite personal God who is there and who has spoken, this provides an absolute by which we can conduct our lives. And he calls this freedom from chaos. That when, when individually and society-wise, we, we understand there's a creator and live accordingly, that creates a freedom in the midst of a chaos. But whenever that begins to go away, mankind becomes the ultimate measure. It creates the actual chaos. There's no freedom anymore. Um, I think this is an issue, and we see this today in our present time. I mean, you come to this passage, and if you are a progressive, just the word progressive, right? I'm a progressive. If you're not careful, you're going to be progressing past the thought of God. That's primitive. There is no God, right? So if you are on the left, be careful, Now, what if you're on the right? Just as equally sinful, if you're on the right, it's I created this, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. Both Democrats and Republicans, whatever political parties are out there, if you're not careful as a Christian and you get so identified with your political party, you'll slip right into it. There isn't a purer one. So the Christian is the one that comes and says, wait a minute, I'm not the fool. God's giving me everything and I'm aware of him giving me the blessings in my life. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, where did the dark power go wrong? The moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God, in fact. That was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like God's. Could set up for their own, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history money, poverty, ambition, war, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That is who the rich fool is. That is what Jesus is warning his disciples about. And that is something we have to come to ourselves. What does it look like on an individual basis to just, I think our schools infect us with this, especially the public schools. Uh, I've told the story of my children's elementary school back in Colorado. The hallway, I forget for which age group you go down, had a poster that said, if it is to be, it is up to me. And I really get what they're trying to say. Hey, you need to sharpen your own pencil, okay? Like, bring notebook paper to class. I get what they're trying to do, but it just creates this sense of, like, I create myself. Have you all ever heard you can be whatever you want to be? Like, we say that still. Is that true? No. Like, I just want to tell you it's just not true. None of you are going to be in the NFL. I don't care how badly you want it. Uh, Last Sunday, we were watching the Dallas Cowboy game, and Dak Prescott's ankle became like just his foot just went like shaped this way, and he's holding it, he's crying. He's the quarterback, and I'm not wanting to get involved in the controversy. There are some of you that get mad at me over this. Grayson was there, he's a much bigger sports fan than me. He just made the comment, Oh no, he's still in negotiations for his contract, and I'm thinking. What a fool. Like, did you not think this could happen? Well, I was offered 140 million. I wanted 150. So I'm going to go play a game where these guys are trying to kill me and hope I can survive to make the better contract. Now, I'm not blaming Dak. That's my own heart. Like, we all have this sense of like, look who I am. Look what I've become. And if we do that, we're acting like the fools. So the question then Is how do you cure this as we move from point one to point two? I just want to give a few thoughts. The cure is praise, like thanking God for the gifts you have. I mean, that's really hard, and you can tell it's hard because it requires almost repentance to begin to praise God. Some of us will go, I don't even know what the gifts are. That's a problem. Start to thank Him for the beauty and the glory He's given to you, the talents, the gifts, the relationships, but even for the hardships the things that aren't going the way you planned, the things that bring you face-to-face with your frailty, these are things we can praise him for. And remember, the, something that's the shadow of this entire sermon is the Lord's prayer from just the last chapter, of Luke 11. Of course, Luke, in putting this together, knows that that prayer is taking us to the cross, and it begins with, Father, holy are you, hallowed is your name. And we begin to praise. And, and secondly, uh, along those lines, recognize that all of, you, of the things you think you have are on loan. If you have land, you don't keep it forever. When you die, it gets deeded to the next person. It's on loan. And at the end of our passage, interestingly, Jesus depicts God telling the rich fool, your very soul was on loan. It was a gift. So, point number one, are we connecting to the Father by seeing our entire life, our gifts, our talents, our resources, our blessings as being loaned to us? Or are we seeing them as something we've created? Point number two then is does uh, the material world, um, excuse me, do we find not like this person peace in the present moment? A lot of people have discovered like mindfulness, and I'm a big fan of mindfulness. Um, I'm not a fan of the Eastern religions it's rooted to but I think the Bible is the origination of mindfulness being present in the moment. That's the point we're going to look at right now is we're looking at a rich fool who has just been totally blessed with like so many crops that you know what he does? Does he relax? Does he eat and drink and celebrate like he wants to do? No. What does he do? He enters into a building project. I know what I'll do. I'll Tear down perfectly good barns. I'll hire an architect, which means I got to write a letter because there's no telephones. It's got to go by some donkey. To you know, it's going to take months and months and months and years to build these barns. I don't have any idea what's going to happen to your grain by the time that's all finished. It's going to rot. It's absurd, anxiety-driven future planning that one day, someday, maybe I can rest. That's what materialism does. It does not let you stop and relax. I love the way he, uh, I don't love it, but it's, I love the way Jesus depicts it, his soliloquy. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. It's this complete by myself thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I will store up my grains and I will say to my soul, soul, soul. You have ample goods laid up for yourself for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Are you aware of the ways you talk to yourself? Like, have you ever caught yourself just kind of ruminating? Like, if I could just get that thing done, if I could go there, if I can lose the 10 pounds. If I... And you're just ruminating in all the ways. If you could just do these things, you can't wait for that day you can relax. Do you ever do that? Or am I the only one? I catch myself all the time. I'm not resting in the gospel. I'm not resting in the present reality of Jesus. I love in James 4, he, he really nails it. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, <clears throat> we will go to such and such a town and spend a year in there, trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that tomor- what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? And in James-like characteristic fashion, he's very intense. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. That's great news. Why? Because you can enjoy today. Like, I don't have to get married to have a good life. Though I want that. Or I don't have to have the job come through. Though I want that. Or I don't have to have the, the thing done or the project done. or the, Those are all wonderful things. He goes on to say, do those things in the Lord... Longing for his will and partnership. But I don't need those things to have rest and peace today. The gospel frees you. And if you want a proof text, look at Stephen being stoned to death. (laughs) Can you imagine a worse moment? It's like, I have a pretty bad situation, but nothing's as bad as getting rocks thrown at my, my skull. Right? Anyone? And yet he's praising God. I'm not saying that's easy to do, but it's possible. But we're so focused on the future giving us our relaxation. Remember the commercial? A lot of the college students won't remember, I don't think. But maybe my older friends. Uh, What's your number? It's 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 a commercial about your retirement. I used to watch a lot of golf. These are the commercials they air during golf. And uh, it just shows people like mowing their yard with a smile or walking down. They're doing hard work, but they're smiling. And why? Because above their head is this superimposed, you know, CGI number that represents if they could just get to that number. Ding! Life's easy. You know? And they all had different numbers. Some poor guys had like low numbers. Bless their heart. They'll have a really cruddy retirement, but it will be fine. But then some people have these really nice numbers, like millions. And the theory that they're pressing in is when that number is hit... It's like you can just walk away from responsibility and go plop down on a couch and open a cold one and life will be easy. That's what materialism is trying to get you to believe and we believe it. There's a book written by a lady named uh, Madeline Levine called The Price of Privilege. In this book, she's a psychologist who meets with teenagers and she started to notice a trickle that became more, that led her to want to write a book of teenagers who came in who had it all and they were miserable they had wealth they were going places they had the grades they needed they had it all going their way but underneath that they were like living in torment self-harm cutting uh, eating disorders suicidal ideations etc etc and she began to realize that there's this actual problem of the promise of privilege. It wasn't just a coincidence. It wasn't like, oh, it affects that crowd too. What she found was it was actually the pursuit of privilege that backfilled into their lives, that pressure that ate away at their souls. She said, for example, they wouldn't eat meals with their families. Like they wouldn't do these normal, wonderful daily things. And don't we do that as a culture? Like we've lost mealtime. We've lost Sunday rest. We've lost God saying, hey, I've got you. I've got your number. It's Jesus' rest. We've lost that, haven't we? So what are we sacrificing today while we hope for a brighter tomorrow that will never come? That's what materialism promises. Yet the gospel says, Jesus says, I him with you, and he pours out all of his blessings on you. And again, to go back to the the, the um, sermon or the um, Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, we've already talked about the first point, Father, you're holy. But the second point is we can pray, thy kingdom come and give us our daily bread. Like give us the resources for today and we can have, that's, an, I, we trust you. Remember the manna, you know, in the Old Testament and Exodus where they, God would provide the manna and several people just, couldn't handle and grabbed more than they needed and it turned to maggots. Like, can we rest in Jesus? Is he enough? Our last one is community. I think if you want, these are all challenging things, and I know that. The third thing we see in this t- passage, and maybe the most important for our discussion this morning, is that to have the freedom that Jesus promises us, we need to have this connection with the Father. We're having this sense that our, all of our daily needs are being met. So we have this current peace in the moment, in the day. But we also enjoy community. Like we love people. And that's gone by the like That's falling by the wayside very rapidly. And it's not just because of COVID though we may touch on that. So you all know that we're made uh, in the image of God, who is a triune God, you've heard this theology said a lot from this pulpit, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit enjoyed an eternal relationship. And so when we're made in his image, the DNA of of that image is to want to be in partnership with him and with creation. And Jesus is talking to disciples, like to a crowd of people, People who are clamoring together. Every time there's a revival, that kind of happens. People quit being so isolated and they come together. But I want you to notice a couple of things in our passage. First, again, the soliloquy. He's not talking to his wife. What will we do? He's not talking to the community. Hey, we all had a pretty good boomer crop, let's, or bumper crop. What should we do with this? He's not talking to the elders at the gate back in the He's talking just. To himself, what should I do? But look at the very end in chapter, or in verse 20, verse 20, where God who has just called him a fool and tells him that very night his soul's required, he says, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You remember the question that Jesus is answering? Teacher, what do I do with my inheritance? Tell my brother to divide it. What's the big deal there? We all kind of want our inheritance, right? Well, here's what's going on. Here's the backdrop. When in that culture, a father died, the idea is that the elder brother receives the land and shares it and acts on behalf of the father for the whole family. And you see that, by the way, in in what's gonna come later in Luke 15, the prodigal son story where this younger brother's like, just forget it, I want mine now, I can't wait. And in this situation, this man saying, I want you to divide the inheritance, he's saying, I'm leaving the family. Like, I'm walking away. I want what's mine. And you think back to um, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity? Like, this disunity is sin. When you study um, trauma, neurobiologists will tell you trauma necessarily, and it always creates fragmentation. So the brain that has been traumatized fragments. That's why when you're in a traumatic moment or state, you act like you're three. You're using adult language maybe, and you're in your adult body, but you're acting like you're a a child. You've gone into what they call the lizard brain. You're traumatized. Your brain is not operating according to its plan. It's fragmented. And God has created this thing called a prefrontal cortex It's become a joke at our house. We're like, it doesn't develop till you're 26, so none of you all have it, but it does. It's developing, so be in good cheer. And in that prefrontal cortex, that's where the executive function of their brain is bringing everything together to harmonize, and the person who's in that state of mind is acting according to their design. Now, why am I bringing all that up? Well, there's a new branch of neurobiology called interpersonal neurobiology, and they're beginning to study how not only does our brain need to work together through the prefrontal cortex, but brains need brains. Like, we need people to be healthy and whole. I love it when science catches up to the Bible. Isn't that just hysterical? It's like, you know, maybe you should try mindfulness and meditation. Yeah, like, we've been talking about that for years, and so here, the Bible, here are the signs, you know what, maybe, maybe a child needs a parent who loves them. Yeah. We think that. We've thought that for a long time. Maybe community's healthy, right? And yet we're living in a moment where it's falling by the wayside. I'm telling you guys, social media doesn't count. It's fine. I'm not saying you can't do social media. It's just not community. Why? Well, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. You, you, Father, hallowed be Thy name. That's point number one. Kingdom come and daily bread are point number two. Like this, in the moment, provisions from God. And then point number three: forgive us our sins, plural, for we ourselves forgive everyone community who's indebted to us. You know why we're really bad at community? Because we don't know how to handle conflict. We don't know how to repair. We don't know how to even breach. So what we do is we go to social media and we choose our tribe. Here's my little try. I chose this group until someone bothers me. Then they're out and I fill the spot like cans in a convenience store. And yet the gospel is saying not gonna work. The way healthy community works is you actually engage each other in struggle and sin. I mean, I'll, I'll, even in marriages, are you in a marriage when you have an argument repairing? Or are you just hoping time heals all wounds? So why do I say that here? For this person to go to Jesus, I want you to hear this. It says, so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling each other. Jesus is famous. Why? He's healed people. He's provided bread in the middle of nowhere. He's raised the dead. He's amazing. And here comes some guy that all he can do is think to walk up to Jesus and say this, this, Help me deal with an issue with my brother. I want him to divide the land. I want to make the breach complete. I want to move along. I want to move out. And Jesus is, you've got to imagine he's just in shock. And whenever he asks questions like the one I'm about to read, pay close attention. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Rabbi, tell my brother, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're a rabbi, so you can do it. But who is Jesus? Let me read you a few verses before it. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. I warn you to whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Now that sounds really harsh, but he's saying fear the one who oversees eternal life. Who's that person? Who's the one? Well, it's the triune God, but isn't Jesus the one who comes to judge the living and the dead? And just a few verses later, he looks at someone and says, Who hey, made me arbitrator over you? You want the guy to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you. You're, you're Jesus. I know it. I, I, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And repentance would flow. But that's, we don't know what happens. But that's what's in the backdrop of this story. And the point is this you need community. And this guy's wanting to breach with community. And you need, this rich person is using his wealth and his materialism to segment from community. And my concern is that we, in our modern culture, we're all the rich fools when we utilize all the resources of materialism to self-isolate and have our soliloquies and live as if God doesn't exist. And then we go, I don't know why I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. I'm a big believer in seeking professional help and even medications. I'm not, I'm not belittling any of that. But guys, it's not just a few of you. We are, as a society, dying inside because we live on the Internet. We have Zoom fatigue. We are so sick of looking at a Zoom person and not having a real person in our midst. And we are so desperate to have someone know us and know our struggles and whom we can confess our sins to and whom will forgive us of our sins if we've hurt them and vice versa. We are dying for that community that creates true life, that gives us the feeling of Jesus and his community spreading. So as a church, we we have to recover that. Jesus as he goes to the cross and he's praying his final prayer, intercedes. And he does so. And I, I just want you to hear this. I can, I can sort of empathize. I'm a younger brother myself. I can empathize with the man kind of like, I don't trust my older brother. Like, you know, I don't trust him. If I wait for, your dad's dead and he got the property, he's going to, I'm going to get screwed. Like, that's the fear you hear. That's the, the orphan but who's the true older brother, right? Jesus, and Jesus is saying before the father in John 17, I have inherited everything. I have paid for everything. I'm going to be with you, and Father, now I'm praying that you will give this entire kingdom to the, to the children, to my brothers and my sisters. That is the thi- We are all a community coming together in Jesus. He is our elder brother. And we never have to divide and cut off and fight for what's ours if we are in Christ. We are a community that comes together. First and foremost, I'm gonna just restate the three points as I wrap it up. Everything we have comes from the Father. We see that. Secondly, we live in such a way that even though you can have, I'm not talking against retirement plans. We can have that conversation later, but we live in such a way as today is important. This daily bread the kingdom coming now, right now on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, in a community where we know each other and are known, where we can confess sin and share resources and love. And I I think we do that kind of, but going past COVID-19, going past Zoom meetings, going into the future, we're going to have to work really hard to make sure we don't lose that. So I've never ended a sermon with a major problem we have to solve like this. Like, so there it is, but I know this. The gates of hell will not, will not pass over the church, will not take out the church. The church is the tool God uses. The local church, whether you wanna to go to this local church or you feel like leaving this local church and going to Countryside or Sunnybrook or Eagle Heights or Redeemer, pick one and plug in and give it your all. And may I also say ethos. But don't go from here to ethos or I'll have a real problem with that. If you drive everywhere. Every, I'm just gonna drive to Tulsa every Sunday. I'm kidding, do it. It's worth it. We pray for all the churches, not just our denominational churches, but our brother and sister churches that we'd be filled with community and, and life-giving gospel messages so that we can actually Come out of this pandemic like with a revival. Let's pray for that. Jesus,